I love that. I love that you get to be a part of stories like that, that we get to be a part of stories like that. And uh, I love that we're not only kind of interested in supporting things that make us feel good, even though it feels good to give towards stuff like that, but we also value just the family. We value families in our community, and that's so important. I'm glad that hopefully Christmas for you is a time uh, that you get to be with your family. I don't know what your Christmas parties or plans are like, but every single year comes around, we're making plans. Like I've got family in New York and New Jersey and Indiana and Florida and Arizona, and we're always trying to conspire. How do we all get in the same room together for Christmas? And it never works. So we're, we're trying to figure that out for this year because the blizzard had different plans than, than we have. But but I'm privileged to be in a family. So because of some of the changes and just the weather, my wife and, and our family are not able to be here. I'm kind of flying solo, but this is my wife, Lindsay. We've been married almost nine years in a couple days. And uh, this is our daughter, Lennon. She's 18 months old. And then we've got one on the way this spring. So I'm slowly getting taken over by estrogen in my house. It's like, I am clearly not uh, biologically the same. Um, but it's been really fun. Like this season has been really fun for us, especially as parents. It's been awesome. And uh, before I had kids, and before I was married, I would say, that the biggest difference between single John and married with kids John is one thing. I got smarter. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I look back at some of the things I did as an 18-year-old. I was like, that John was a total idiot. Uh, some things are still true, and maybe you, rec- you kind of resonate with that, but... I was just trying to reflect on this this Christmas. I was thinking about like uh, one year, I was 18 years old. I lived that whole year right after high school. I I packed up everything I owned and lived in Auckland, New Zealand for a year. Now Auckland and New Zealand as a whole is known to be the adventure capital of the world. I mean, you can just do crazy stuff there every single day if you want. And that's what I wanted. I want, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I wanted that. And so I had some friends kind of coax me into going whitewater rafting, which doesn't sound like too bad, until they described where it was and what it was. And I was like, I don't know if I should do this, but, but again, I wasn't smart. So I let them talk me into it. So we go down, we pay the money, we get in the wetsuits and we hop in and the guide says, hey, just so you know, this is the last raft of the day. It's pouring rain so hard, we are closing the rapids. I was like, this should be great. You know, like what could go wrong? So I get in this raft uh, against my better judgment and we start to paddle down the river. It is pouring rain. It's just pinging off my helmet over and over again. I can't really see at this point. And we're kind of paddling along. I have no clue what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just pretending like I've been whitewater rafting at this point. Everyone else had been before. This is my first time. I just didn't tell them that. So we get close and he kind of pulls the raft to the side. And this guide stops us. And he's like, hey. And he's from New Zealand. So he doesn't say hey like that. He says, hey, I need to let you know that we're about to go down a 23-foot drop. Are you ready? And I was like, heck no, I'm not ready. You didn't say that in the pamphlet. That's not, that's not what was in the instructional guide for this registration form. Like, I had no idea. I was like, 23 feet. Now, he, he said seven meters because we're in New Zealand, right? So I kind of calculated seven. I heard seven. I heard seven feet. That's what I heard. And it said it was 23 feet straight drop down this waterfall. This wasn't me, but I have a picture identical like this buried somewhere in my Facebook. And and this is the the drop in the Kaituna River. It's kind of one of the largest waterfall drops you can do in the world uh, on a whitewater rafting trip. So we get down and like you see, I mean, this just looks like it's about to be bad. You know, like that was our scenario. We literally plunged down the rivers, pouring rain, the water's really, really high. And I find myself going 
fully submerged, and I, I can feel our raft just slowly flipping over. And eventually, it dumps us all out. We are all just kind of bobbling around under this waterfall. And I, if you could hear my screams, would sound like a little girl about to die. I mean, I was just freaking out, knowing this is it. Like, <laughs> game over for me. Like, there's no way I could not make it out by myself. And so eventually, I'm, I find myself kind of pinned under this raft. And I'm pushing as hard as I can. And the waterfall is pushing down on me and the raft as hard as it can. And I am just freaking out. And I'm thinking, I've been under the water for four hours at this point in my mind. I've just, I'm dead. I don't know how I'm still even here. And I see kind of the backside of a raft uh, paddle plunge down right next to me. And I can just barely see it because I'm kind of stuck under this waterfall in this raft. And I grab it. I just push off this raft. And I grab it with all the power and strength I had left. And eventually this guide yanks me out of the water and I made it. You know, I'm here today. I'm not a clone. This is really me. And I couldn't believe it. I just came out just gasping for air, amazed that I lived through this experience. And everyone else lived through it too. I just couldn't believe it. So finally we go down. The trip is over. And I was trying to think about that story. And what really strikes me about it is in order for that that guy to save me, he had to essentially be under the waterfall. I mean, if you look at that, when you get flipped out, it kind of puts you into this whirlpool and the guide was essentially sitting. He had flipped the raft, they got the raft back over at that point and he was sitting kind of under the waterfall, his back against it and he plunged this thing down to save me. Now, uh, if you've been around church, you, you probably already know where I'm going, but what, what strikes me is that the guide was getting crushed by the waterfall. He had done it hundreds of times. I mean, he was incredibly experienced. He had taken a bunch of noobs like me out before. He was not worried about the situation like I was. But I needed someone to rescue me. I needed someone to free me from the waters. And, and the thing we've been talking about all Christmas long is that each one of us, no matter where you are spiritually, we need a captive liberator. We need someone to set us free. We need someone who breaks into the prison cell of our lives and, and unlocks it and pushes the door open so that we can live in the freedom that Jesus promises that we can have. And, and Christmas to me may be the best time to be talking about this because you're headed towards the end of the year and the beginning of a new one. And there's a really good chance that there are chains, there are things, there are prison cells that you are in right now that you would love to get free from this next year. And I'm with you. There's, there's stuff in my life too. There's chains in my life too I want to get free from. And so I want to take you to the very beginning, if we can, of the Christmas story. This is Matthew 1. If you have a Bible, uh, I, this is the time to pull out even a phone or a device. This is how you kind of track along. But Matthew 1, verse 18, here's, here's how this uh, Christmas story reads. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, it's a very PG way of saying it, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I mean, this is all Jewish custom, Jewish religion, Jewish community and context would have brought incredible shame onto Mary. So Joseph takes an integrity move and decides, I'm just going to kind of do away with this quietly and try to bring as much honor to Mary in the process as I can. And listen to this next verse. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save people from their sins. This is kind of the prophecy. This is the word. Joseph, this young teenage boy who finds himself in this almost impossible prison cell of, situa- of, of a situation, trying to figure out, how do I get out of this? Like, how do, I, how do I break out of all of this? And an angel steps in and says, you are going to be part of a liberation story. You are going to be a part of Jesus, this Messiah, coming into the world and freeing people from their prison and, and their chains. And to me, there's so many things that are powerful about the Christmas story, but if I notice anything this year, it's Christmas declares that everyone is in chains, but anyone can get free. Everyone is in chains, but anyone can get free. And to me, that's what's so kind of haunting about the Christmas story. If you read it, Joseph is literally promised that Jesus is going to be born. He's going to, to give birth to a Savior. Why? Because people like you and me need saving. He doesn't assume that they're just, everyone's fine, and I'm just going to send Jesus. It'll be a great story to celebrate at Christmas. No, there was a real problem that God was solving. There was a real need that you and I had and have to break off our chains and get free, and only Jesus can do that. Like, I don't have to sit here. I know, I know enough of you. I know enough of you maybe watching online. I'm going to sit here and describe to you what chains feel like. I have to describe to you what the last year may have been like. I mean, I have to describe to you maybe some of the the prison cells of disappointment, infertility, chronic pain, financial stress and burden, relationship hurt. I don't have to describe to you what those feel like. You know what they feel like. We all know what it's like to be in chains. And Jesus has come to declare that everyone is in chains, but anyone can get free. He's unlocked the door from the inside out, like we've been saying all along. As you skip ahead in the Christmas uh, story, you find that Jesus eventually, he grows up, he, he moves out, uh, hopefully when he's 18, but I don't know. You know, there may not be hope for you if you're a parent. It doesn't say when he moved out, but he eventually moved out. He grew up and he finds himself doing his father's work. He is doing ministry. He's healing the sick. He's He's trying to cleanse the lepers. He's setting this teaching in motion. He's bringing in the kingdom of God. It's incredible. But Jesus finds himself constantly at odds with groups of people in his Jewish community. Uh, One of those groups of people is the Pharisees, these religious elite people. These are like, they tithe, they worship, they show up to church every weekend. They'd be here if we had all three services. You know, like it's those people. And and Jesus is constantly confronting them and coming to, to head with them. Uh, back and forth, back and forth in the gospel story. If you read ahead, uh, we're going to skip over to John 8, 31 and 36, different gospel, same person. Verse 31, he's having this argument. It says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. So from the very beginning, not only is Jesus as a child king set out to be a captive liberator, but Jesus affirms halfway through his ministry, maybe a couple of years before he goes to the cross and dies a sacrificial death, that he's still in the business of freedom. He still cares that everyone is in chains and, and he is the, the path to freedom. And, and what happens here is they, they come back at him. They're like, hey, Jesus, we're not in chains, man. 
we go to church, okay? We tithe, all right? We give to, to the poor. We care about people. Like, we're, we're nice people. Our houses are clean. Our kids behave well in school. Like, who are you to tell us that we're in chains? And Jesus comes back and forth and says, if you, if you don't think you're in chains, that is the chain. You know, like, if you don't think you need Jesus to, to free you, you may be trapped in, in a kind of prison of lack of awareness or, or ignorance about a real spiritual situation. And he goes back and forth with them, but I love that line. He says, when you know the truth, it's the truth that will set you free. It's not just knowledge, it's a person. It's not just knowing truth claims or facts about Jesus, it's knowing Jesus. That's how you get set free. That's the path to ultimate freedom. And these religious elite people he's going back and forth, back and forth with, had settled for a counterfeit freedom. Looks, tastes, maybe even feels some days like the real thing, but it's not. And Jesus is saying, I've come to break you out of that prison cell. Here's why I know this is true. Here's why I know that, that every single one of us have to, have to wrestle with this, have to wrestle with these questions, is because Lindsay and I, in this last season of life, we've been going through this exact same thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we shared online, and many of you in our church family know, uh, the daughter that's going to be born here in the spring, we found a couple weeks ago, has a, a large heart, a, a hole in her heart, a defect. And barring miraculous healing of God, we'll need open heart surgery in her first couple months of life. Now I'm a pastor, right? How do you handle stuff like that? God will handle it. You know, like, God will heal her. Like, you, you get on your knees, and you just start praying that way. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that's kind of my automatic should be response. But my first response was freaking out. It was like, oh my goodness, I did not plan this. I did not expect this. Lennon's birth was pretty normal. I, like, I didn't think through any of this stuff. And to be honest, my version of freedom when I first heard that news was, okay, God, you got to heal her right now, immediately. I want to go back to the cardiologist the next time, and I want to see that hole totally mended, totally closed, no open-heart surgery, no medications, no issues with feeding. or any, I don't want any of that. Just heal it. Can you do it? And he could. I believe he could. But what I truly have come to understand is that freedom is not just immediate healing. Freedom is the ability for Lindsay and I to trust God with the uncertainty and believe he can heal. There's a big difference. Maybe you're going through something that feels like that. It's like, man, the immediate kind of quick fix of freedom, that's what I long for. But Jesus is interested in real, lasting, eternal freedom. It's so much better than that. It's so much better than a quick fix or a simple solution to what you carry. And Jesus is saying in this passage to these guys and even to Christmas, in this Christmas season we're in, if you know me, you will get free. If you truly know me. If you let me encounter you in the situation of life you're in, I will get you in touch with freedom. I mean, his name literally means God saves. That's what he, that was, he, the angel tells Joseph. Like, if you get in touch with my presence, if you get in touch with my spirit, I will set you free. I will reorient your whole life around freedom rather than the prison cell that you may be so regularly accustomed to and even comfortable in. And that was me about 14 years ago, very shortly after I almost drowned in the Kaituna River in New Zealand, where I had a moment, I met the real Jesus. I encountered God for who he really is, and it set my life on a path of freedom. And that's made me have to choose. He gives me freedom in the moments, but he's also given me freedom spiritually. And to me, it's a totally different life. I'm a different person 
than I was 14 years ago. Thank God for all your sakes. You know, like I'm a different human being and I'm really, really grateful for that. And if you follow Jesus, you've surrendered your life, you know that that's, that's what he wants to do for everybody else. And honestly, like I've had the privilege of walking with people these last 14 years out of their prison cell into freedom too. It's been one of the greatest joys of my entire life. And tonight you're gonna have an opportunity to, to step into that freedom, to walk out of the prison and to embrace the freedom Jesus has won for you. And if I think about Christmas, like really, honestly, like this is the good news for, of great joy for all people. This is what it means. I mean, this is the life that, that Jesus has, has, has put on the table for every single one of us. Christmas declares everyone is in chains, but anyone can get free. Uh, some of you probably don't know, maybe most of you don't know, the name Ernest Gordon. Maybe nothing to you. Sounds like a NASCAR driver, but it's not. Now, Ernest Gordon, interstate batteries. You know, like, it's not him. Different person. But Ernest Gordon uh, was a British, British soldier and a minister during World War II. And Ernest actually found himself captured by the Japanese during the war and, and thrust into this prison camp. He had to work what they call the Death Railroad in Thailand. And every five miles of this railroad, I mean, you can read in the history books, you can Wikipedia all this, like there was about nearly 2,000 of these prisoners would die every single kind of stretch of five miles they'd be working on. It was incredibly torturous, incredibly difficult. Many of his friends and fellow prisoners died. And what ended up happening, as Gordon writes in his journal, was kind of the law of the jungle set in. I mean, they started to, at first, he said they huddled out of they huddled together out of fear, but soon, the more of us that were killed or died, we became selfish, looking out only for ourselves, only for our freedom. And they find themselves in the story, as Ernest writes, he said, one afternoon, something happened. At the end of the workday, a shovel was missing. The Japanese officers kind of lines up this group who'd been working on the railroad, in which Ernest was a part of that day, and basically says, who took it? Who took the shovel? Who took it? He said, all right, none of you are going to fess up. He pulls out his gun and says, who took it? If you don't tell me, I'm going to literally kill every single one of you. And Ernest is kind of watching this. He didn't take it. He's kind of looking down the line like, okay, somebody's got to go forward here. Somebody's got to fess up or we're all going to die. And so finally, he kind of sees at the end of this line, this group of men, these prisoners, he steps, this guy steps forward. The Japanese officer puts, puts down his gun puts it back in the holster, grabs this guy's shovel and beats him until he passes away. Ernest is watching this whole thing. Fast forward to the next day, another tool check. Ernest recounts that they, they kind of line them all up again and realize that they had lost that shovel and the shovel was never missing. No one had taken it. And this man had stood in that line, just like Ernest, and decided, I'm going to put my life on the line for the rest of these prisoners who had become brothers to him. There's no shovel missing. This guy sacrificially stepped forward. I mean, this news, Ernest writes, spread like wildfire throughout the prison camp. It gave them hope. It gave them community. It gave them a sense of freedom, even though they were still trapped by these Japanese soldiers. And the reason I bring that up is because if you've been around church, chances are you know where the Christmas story leads, right? It doesn't just end in Bethlehem. It leads to Jesus, an adult man, 33 years old, sacrificing himself 
on a cross for you, for me, for our freedom, ultimately, to set us out of and break us out of ourself from the inside. But can I tell you something? Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross does not free you. It doesn't. On paper, it does. But what frees you and what Jesus says over and over again is not just, do you know that I died? Do you acknowledge that, that there's freedom from your chains? Do you acknowledge that, that you have a need or, or a hardwired kind of built in desire to, to live in relationship with the God of freedom and the captive liberator? What, what does free you is whether or not you respond to Jesus's sacrificial death on the cross for you and for me. What you do with it is what actually saves you. It's what frees you. It what brings you. It's what brings transformation and change into every part of your life. Like our response to Jesus matters. It really does. If you've been around Center, you know we're not just here celebrating kind of a Christmas tradition. It's not just something we check off. We're here gathered together to respond to Jesus, to what he has done. And Christmas is a story and it's all about him. And I, I just wanna give us this kind of caution before we take a moment. We actually are going to respond. We're gonna have a chance for, for you to step into this freedom this Christmas. But Francois Fenelon, this kind of French writer says it this way. He writes it and there's nothing that is more dangerous your own salvation, more unworthy of God, more harmful to your own happiness than that you should be content to remain as you are. So many of us, maybe even this last year, you just be honest, it's like, yeah, I'm pretty, just got content with where I am. I've settled for partial or maybe even counterfeit freedoms. And this Christmas could be kind of the moment for you, the hinge point in your story would you just say, Jesus, I, I need you to liberate me. I need you to set me free. And there's actually gonna be a moment. We're gonna have this prison door that comes out here during this next song. And it's gonna be a chance for you. There's some locks on it. Now, obviously there's some symbolism here that you gotta, you gotta humor me on, but, but each one of us comes in with some kind of chain. And maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus before ever. Maybe you've never made that decision. And today, as you step forward, it's a way for you to say, I am stepping into freedom. I will move. I'm stepping into freedom. And each one of these locks has a key on it. You can, you can open it. And there's a tag there in which you can actually take, uh, take home with you. We want you to take it home. But if you could right now, every single one of you on your seat has a card. It's got kind of a highlight for our next series coming up. But at the bottom of it is actually a way for you to respond, to take a practical step this Christmas. And I wanna encourage you, no matter where you are in your faith, to just take that card out and there's a pen attached to it. Everybody do it. I've, I've got mine right here. I've got mine. And at the bottom of this card, all it says is, I have decided to trust in Jesus for your freedom. And, and maybe for you tonight, as you just interact with this, as you showed up here, as you decided, yeah, it's kind of worth it, to, to drive through a snowstorm or maybe someone forced you to come. They just say, you know what? To, I want tonight to be the night in which I, I trust in Jesus. I trust him to, to set me free. I trust him with my life. And maybe you've never done that. I would love you just check the, for the first time on that. 
Put your name, phone, email, whatever you want to do. We'd love to, to respond with you and help you take a step. But here's what I recognize too. You drove past a bunch of churches to get here. And there's a good chance that maybe you've been in kind of a living, breathing relationship with God before, but you recognize this year is just taking it out of you. You feel like you've walked away. Maybe you made decisions you regret. Maybe you just don't feel like, like you're in that rhythm. You're in that freedom anymore, that you've stepped back into some old prison cells. And tonight is a chance. I want you to come up and, and take a lock as well. And you would just check again. Decided to trust in Jesus again. Because here's what I know. Here's what I believe. God is not a God of one chance. I'm so grateful for that. But God gives a second, third, fourth, fifth. He's a God of grace and redemption. And no matter where you are, what you have done, what you carry, you, you have not disqualified yourself from checking that box. And I would love for you to do that. And as a way to celebrate those decisions, those steps of surrender that you're making tonight, uh, we would love to just kind of give you a way to remember that journey, or made a way to remember that story. And as you, as you do that, if you just tear off that card, if you, once you fill it out, if, if one of those things applies to you, if you're trusting in Jesus for the first time or again, and I want you to bring that card up, only if you check those top two boxes, and I want you to drop it off. There's a little white bucket here. And I want you to come up and reach up and just take one of these locks home. Put the key in it, un undo it. And we're gonna celebrate with you. Literally, if you call Center Church home, like we want, this is like baptism level excitement, okay? If you, you like lions win baptism, it's kind of all in that same, it's all in that same thing, same level of emotions. So we want you to celebrate. We're gonna go crazy because we know that God rejoices when people take those steps towards him. And we care about that as a church. That's why we're still here. And we're gonna take a moment and sing over that. But I would love to pray for us before we do this and just invite God in before we sing. So would you join me? Father, I'm really grateful that this Christmas can be so much more than mere tradition mere ritual. And God, I pray, I just know that whether it's online or in this room, there are people who today are making that decision to trust you for the first time. And there are people today who are making the decision to trust you again, to step into freedom again. And God, I just pray that you would do what only you can do in these moments, that it would go beyond for us carols and candlelight, but would actually become something that marks us. We would look back on December 2022 as kind of a hinge point for us spiritually and a marker in our story of what you have done. And so we bring it to you. We respond to you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing, the ways that you're speaking. And we pray in Jesus' name.